Hello there. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shatterpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amon Kusro. How are you doing today, Amon? I'm feeling pretty good, honestly. Saw the Mandalorian season finale earlier today. Pretty excited. This is the way, man. This is the way. Yeah. Solid. We're going to talk about it on our bonus feed. We're trying to save our thoughts, but very pleased with the way that ended and obviously what they're setting up with Ahsoka, which you and I covered last episode pretty extensively, the Star Wars Celebration news and stuff. Yeah. A little spoiler, I guess, is I'm not sure if I'm all too pleased with how it ended. So looking forward to talking about that. I've got some thoughts on it as well, positive and negative, but I do think a lot of it's intentional. Absolutely. But today, Iman, we're back in the show and we're not talking news today. That is news, honestly, that we're not talking about news. Yeah, no, I mean, quite honestly, we're doing something that you're going to see as a reoccurring segment on this very show. And it's pretty cool. We get to do our first version of it today where we're going to be calling these kind of character box episodes. And we're calling them boxes because the core set's a little bit different, right? Because you're getting numerous boxes in one core set. But we think this is going to extend really well into future content where it's like, we're going to cover a primary, there's secondary that goes with them, and then their supporting unit through this format of lore and strategy discussion and what we think they bring to the game and kind of our first takes on them, quite honestly, because the game is so new. And hopefully we think this is going to frame a lot of your thoughts on how to approach them when you play them. But also like we're going to be just, this is going to be an evergreen resource for you to listen and learn about these characters. Maybe go back if you want to freshen up on these characters and stuff like that. And honestly, Amon, I'm going to use these things in the future as well as a way to refresh on characters relearn boxes, and we will extend this past the course of the future. Totally agree. I definitely think certainly the intention here is to make these episodes a resource to focus on particular characters, particular synergies, things like that. And yes, we did name them, I guess, unofficially box episodes. And and Jesse did mention that the core set is a little bit different. And I think the way that we're organizing the core set is effectively as how the box art portrays them, right? We have this events happening for the Battle of Mandalore with Darth Maul and Ahsoka. And then we have generic Clone Wars action between Anakin and Asajj and their associated supporting and secondary characters. But again, the goal here is to share our thoughts and to just help you gain additional perspective when you're evaluating these characters yourself. The idea isn't to necessarily tell you what is good or bad, but when you are playing with these characters, maybe these are some things that you can think about and keep in mind to maybe play them to their fullest potential. No, absolutely. And it's kind of our, our way, too, of just getting a first discussion on these characters, too, and getting it out in the open. Because I imagine, Amon, as, as the game goes on, as, as our show continues, this is a framework we can build off of. So it's like, today we're talking about Ahsoka and others. And it's like, this is the basis for Ahsoka. But Ahsoka is not the only Ahsoka content. She's going to come up on our show a lot, quite frankly, probably a lot in these early months because she is a corset model. We're hoping this will kind of like give us all a baseline to jump off of in these box episodes or character episodes, quite frankly, is what they really are, are just going to be a starting point to kind of learn what these characters are in the game, how we play them, what do they do, and how do we frame our ideas for these characters going forward. And I think Ahsoka especially will be quite ubiquitous on at least the most the first couple episodes because there's two versions of her. That's right. right? That's right. So we'll talk about 
Ahsoka Tano, Jedi No More, and then Ahsoka Tano, the Padawan, which is very exciting because we do get to experience two different versions of a beloved character. And again, the concept here for these particular episodes is to just focus on the gameplay aspect and how we can best utilize and think about these characters. And and these these ideas that we're bringing to this conversation are going to evolve over the course of this conversation, right? Because we can influence each yes. other's thoughts and processes and give different perspective. And we hope that the conversation that Jesse and I have on this podcast helps spur some internal conversation for you when evaluating these characters. Absolutely. And you kind of nailed it. I'm on talking about the importance of Ahsoka. She is on the box art, like just straight up. And the fact that Atomic Mass chose to make two versions of her right off the gate is saying a lot to us. So it was kind of our obvious starting point for this first character box segment of the show. So before we get into this character box today, which is Ahsoka Jedi No More, Bo-Katan Kreese, and the Clan Kreese Mandalorians, we have a little bit of business to attend to. That's right. Hello There is supported by Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site. You're a resource for everything Star Wars Shatterpoint. There is a ton of pre-orders coming, including the core box, additional dice, measurement tools, Count Dooku's box, the Hello There box. That's right. And Grievous and Luminara. So if you have not made your current pre-orders and you don't necessarily have a local store near you, we highly encourage you to check out Mr. Laser because he's going to give you a great deal. Absolutely. And we already sang the praises of his shipping. Of course, we cannot do the show without our patrons at patreon.com slash hello there cast. The hello there patrons support us at patreon.com slash hello there cast through a monthly contribution. If you enjoy our show and like to join our private Discord community, consider checking out the tiers, jumping on the Patreon. And we use this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. Super excited because I think we've discussed on how important we believe the Patreon support is to our podcast. And I know that we've kind of said this on every episode so far, but it's the <laughs> truth, right? Like It is the truth. We have lofty goals. We have great aspirations. I mean, just in the pre-show alone, which could have been its own bonus episode in itself, we talked about some of the goals that we're trying to achieve and some of the platforms and, and physical places that we're trying to go. So it's exciting. And the fact that we got nine additional patrons since our last recording is absolutely phenomenal. Totally floored by the support and the love the community has shared with us. Yeah. And all these people getting on the ground floor of the Discord community, quite honestly, and how exciting that is because the community is thriving and building very quickly, Amon, which is very exciting. Very rapidly indeed. And we've been having a lot of fun on the Discord, honestly. I've been, I've been really enjoying popping in there between meetings and That's after right. work and chit-chatting with the community. So we have nine patrons. So I'm going to go run through them very quickly. First, I'd like to give a shout out to Daniel, who didn't necessarily sign up for a tier, but is just contributing um, support to us. Thank you so much for your support. Really appreciate it. Now, at the Padawan slash Acolyte level, we have John, Jaden, Tommy, and Andy. Then we also have the Jedi Knight and Sith Warrior level, where Robert and Rusty have provided their awesome support. Shout out to Rusty. Shout out to Rusty. He's a very special patron on the Furious Finest Network, so thanks for uh, showing up again, Rusty. Hell yeah. Thanks, Rusty. And last but certainly not least, we have our very first Jedi Master slash Sith Lord patron. A huge, huge thank you to Kevin for being that guy. That's right. And Kevin jumped in the Discord. Immediately, I saw his name was Emperor Kevin. So I was like, all right, I guess he chose the Sith Lord side. Get used to hearing Kevin's name. You're going to hear it every week because Kevin is our first producer of the show. 
And as a producer, you get your name read every single week after the patrons that join from the previous week. So it's like you'll hear the new people and then you'll hear Kevin. So thank you so much, Kevin. You really are making this show happen, truly helping us pay our bills and get all these hosting things paid for and uh, all these future endeavors we're trying to get off the ground right now. Yeah. Shout out to Emperor Penguin, a.k.a. Kevin. Perfect. And honestly, you mentioned something about him choosing the dark side. There's really no choice, Jesse. Given to hate, I guess, is what you're saying. It's not necessarily hate. It's just given to your passions. Fair. Okay. Well. Like podcasting. That's a passion. Got him. There it is. That's that Sith code. Absolutely. I'm not really sure I agree with that Sith code, but we'll cover our show more and more. And it's very fitting. Our first producer is a Sith. Very cool. Aman, it's time to get into today's topic of our character box today. Ahsoka Tano, Jedi No More. And we're going to do what we do every time in the segment. Now we're going to do a quick lore on these characters when we start off, and then we're going to go into their stats and abilities. So I'm not going to really get into any spoiler territory necessarily. This is more general spoilers for characters, and this is kind of like a quick rundown of who the character is, because I know a lot of people are coming to this game of Mon who are not necessarily massive Star Wars fans. They just want a good miniatures game. And we do think that knowing a little bit about these characters will enhance your game experience some more, and maybe through more of our lore discussions on the podcast on lore centric episodes and more of just your own exploration of star Wars by yourself. You can get more of these characters if you want to. And you know, it's, it's all springboards to cooler stuff, but Ahsoka Tano was a force sensitive to Gruda female and Jedi Padawan early on who was most notably known for being in the clone wars. And after the clone Wars, she helped establish a network of various rebel cells against the empire. Pretty cool. Some backstory on Ahsoka. She was discovered on her homeworld by the one and only Jedi Master Plo Koon. He brought her to the Jedi Temple on Coruscant to receive Jedi training. And after the Clone Wars begun, Grand Master Yoda assigned Ahsoka to be the Padawan learner of Jedi Knight, Anakin Skywalker, who immediately named her Snips as a nickname. And she named him Sky Guy, which is very cool. And it was an interesting combo right out the gate because... Ahsoka was very eager and very headstrong, and Anakin was very reckless at this time, and they had a very interesting and difficult start as Master and Apprentice, and that is the basis and foundation of their truly amazing relationship as the stories go on, and the tragedy that falls later of that given story. Ahsoka's pretty cool because she's known in the Clone Wars to be this headstrong Padawan that turns into a full-blown Jedi Knight by the end. And then she ends up leaving the Jedi Order through some things happening that she was seeing, honestly, quite frank, before most people were seeing it. She kind of had an eye on a lot of things. And then, of course, I mentioned earlier, she ends up being an important piece in the Rebellion area, helping set up cells against the Galactic Republic, against the Galactic Empire. Then I'm on. We've got a whole new lore of Ahsoka coming in the future. We'll see where it goes. But Ahsoka in her mid to late 40s, right? And that post-Empire world that she's in, she's still kind of a Jedi no more. She's not quite Jedi no more to the level she is in Rebels slash End of Clone Wars, which is this snapshot of Ahsoka. She's a little bit back more towards the Jedi way, but she does have her own approach, very similar to Luke Skywalker. And I think that's given her some longevity as a character and her training, quite honestly. So first off, Jesse, I think it's a great summary and really definitely gives... The listeners, especially those who might not necessarily be familiar with Ahsoka, the relevant information they need to kind of piece together like her relevance in the setting. For me, Ahsoka has been a character that I initially 
when I first was introduced to her, I wasn't necessarily a very big fan of hers. I think she immediately came off as someone who was like a whiny, headstrong individual who always thought they were right and never really had to face the consequences of being wrong because whenever she did something that was headstrong or reckless or defied an order, it ended up just working out. And what I really enjoyed about Ahsoka is seeing her fail for the first time when she was assigned command of some clones and they started to die. Mm. And she realized that cons, you know, her actions have consequences and she started to change. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons for the mass appeal for Ahsoka is we've seen her quite literally grow up in Star Wars and evolve into that Jedi-like figure or Jedi-adjacent figure that stands for what's right, but doesn't necessarily want to put themselves in a box. Yeah. And I think they've, you know, she's been through a lot of hardship and I think people can identify with that, which is super cool. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of nailed some cool parts about her too, where she is a direct similar analogy to Anakin, right? The whole, like seeing him from a young age, all this power potential, you know, all this stuff and kind of headstrong, reckless, arrogant, all this stuff. And kind of the way that culminates in her is very different from the way it culminates in Anakin, right? And a lot of that is through their relationship. They are similar sides of a coin, right? And, you know, I I think people love her so much because like you said, we got to see all these trials and tribulations of her and her grow up and her become this like incredibly amazing Star Wars character, quite frankly. It's very fitting that George and Dave created her so early on and that she's become the sensation she is because she is she's Star Wars through and through. You know, she's she's seen a lot of stuff, she's seen a lot of tragedy, she's grown a lot, and we're there with her, you know, and now she's in the canon. Like in her mid to late 40s, like I said, and we still got some time to go with her, which is great. So I'm really looking forward to more of her. But this particular snapshot of Ahsoka, as you mentioned, I'm on the top of the show, is that late Clone Wars era Ahsoka that will eventually lead into years later, the Rebels era Ahsoka. So that Ahsoka is already very different from the beginning Clone Wars Ahsoka, quite frank. Well, what we're seeing in this snapshot of the character is a character who has experienced a war, has grown up, maybe prematurely. Yeah. Has experienced loss, has experienced failure, and has experienced mass triumph, and has also experienced betrayal, and had to really reconsider her entire way of life when she eventually chose to leave the Jedi Order. Nuts. Yeah. So for me, like when I look at this character, I think of literally the fight scene between her and Maul at the end of Mm -hmm. the final season of the Clone Wars. That's right. And this is who she is, and this is who we're playing with. And it's a pretty cool Ahsoka, to be honest. Absolutely. And of course, her and Anakin both. No respect from Mace for either one of them, quite honestly. And I think Mace, uh, unfortunately, guided both of them certain directions, you know, with their step away from the Jedi Order. And uh, one of them went a lot better than the other one. (laughs) So that Mace arrogance, unfortunately, has popped up a lot. And I think it's very interesting how it's kind of come through with all this, because Mace is the number two in the Jedi Order. He straight up is. So it's uh, it's a big deal. But we got to move on to Ahsoka's stats and abilities in Shatterpoint. And the way we're going to do this, Amon, for this show, we're going to try to teach you as a listener and ourselves her basic stats, kind of the stuff that's on the front and the back of the card that are kind of dictating the game states and and just these thresholds of things. And then we're going to talk about keywords. The first part of her stats is she has nine stamina and three wounds. Not 11, like Anakin has, and three wounds, but not far behind him. And He's the only reference point I have at this moment in the sense of like corset, heavy hitter, right? As, well, the nine is low when you compare it to Anakin and Maul, who are both at 11. Gotcha. But Asaj, Asaj is also at nine. And so for me, what this really makes me think about is 
the average primary is probably going to be somewhere between 9 and 11. Gotcha. Yep. Now, what's really interesting is that clone troopers, the 501st clone troopers also have 9. But I also think it speaks to the the physical constitution of the warriors themselves. Like Ahsoka and Asajj aren't necessarily known to take punishment. Yeah. They're both known to be more aggressive, speedier fighters who use their... Exactly. They use their agility rather than their perhaps sheer force of will and brawn like maybe Maul and Anakin do. No, absolutely. And let's get a lot of pretense out of the way while we're here. So a trend we've noticed with the information we have about the core set and the characters, primaries have more wound thresholds, Amon, right? So yeah, this is in line with the stamina of the 501st, like you mentioned, but we have more wound threshold before Ahsoka's off the table. So that's a lot of health total, right? Nine times three. Yeah, the overall health is interesting, but I think one thing that I've noticed, you know, I've been playing a lot of proxy games when since the rulebook came out. I know you've played a couple yourself. Right. I've been trying to just bang them out as much as I can to get, you know, kind of help prepare for these episodes. Awesome. Candidly. What I've realized is that like while the overall wounds matter, it's the moments when like how quickly can you take a fighter down from full health to zero? Because you incapacitate them temporarily. And so I think there is that difference between nine and 11. That being said, I think Ahsoka has some great ways to mitigate damage and we'll talk about those stances shortly. I think it does add up because if you gotcha. want to take a nine wound fighter or nine health fighter down, you you can if you focus on it. Okay. Very very good to know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, moving on, I'm on to her force. She has three, which is pretty high, quite honestly. It's not Anakin high, but once again, thus far in the game, Anakin is kind of the metric on stamina, force, etc. Damage, quite honestly, in a lot of ways. So three is right behind Anakin. Yeah, I mean, Anakin to me sounds like when you compare all the primaries, he's the primary that is pushing the limits. Gotcha. Right. He's the most different. He's got the most, he's tied for the most wounds. He has the most force. He has the lowest strike points, right? Because he is, he's Anakin Skywalker. He's literally the chosen one, depending on your point of view. Some people think it's Luke. So for me, it's like, it's hard to, honestly, it's hard to compare to Anakin. I think Asajj is a, is a, is a maybe an easier comparison in terms of like yep. it being fair given that Maul and Anakin are the more heavy hitters. Gotcha. Yeah. Theoretically, at least. Well, and I mean, we might get into that range too of like, we see more characters come on the game. We kind of get a gauge on how much force is average or high, but it seems like three is going to be a spot we land in a lot. And like Anakin seems like an outlier, right? With the four. So exactly. Exactly. Because the other three primaries are at three force. Yeah. So three seems like the average and her having that makes a lot of sense. And closing out this section of stats and abilities, she has two keywords, only two, Force User and Galactic Republic. What does this say to you, Amon? Yeah, I'm curious on the Force User one, Okay, honestly. Yeah. The Gal- Galactic Republic one makes a lot more sense given that we are, the era in itself is the, you know, the Galactic Civil War. Yep. So. This is one side of that war. Yeah. And everything that we've almost, most of the previews we've seen from Adepticon are referencing this conflict. Oh, yeah. A lot of Galactic Republic synergy there, right, with Rex, right? So, and Clone Trooper stuff, right? So, it makes sense she has these. Uh, We'll kind of expand on why they matter as the show goes on in this episode as well. But, all right, Amon, now that we've done lore and stats and abilities, it's time to move on to something we kind of think it makes the basis of these characters, but their abilities. The abilities are going to change the battlefield in a lot of ways. And I think that they're going to be the meat and potatoes of these characters. We're going to learn how they play. And, we should just get into her abilities right now, what they mean. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of shaping the battlefield, I think Ahsoka's abilities as befitting a primary certainly can do that. 
She's a very mobile character. She has some really great powers that she has at her disposal. And we'll start with her first ability, which is Force Speed. Force Speed is an active ability that costs one force, and it states each character in this unit may advance. It's a pretty powerful ability because it doesn't clarify that it's an action. So mm, yep. Ahsoka effectively gets an additional move or advance during her activation, which can create some really bonkers stuff. Now, again, you have to spend a force, but seems pretty worth it. No, absolutely. And of course, it's active, so it has to be on her turn. But you're breaking a game rule, quite honestly. Like you're getting a free advance action every time she goes if you really want to. Yeah. And there's a lot of benefits for this. I mean, the way that she's, as you mentioned, breaking the game is kind of like the way the Jedi and the Sith break reality in a certain extent. Love it. So I do like that idea of that occurring. But this is also really important because let's say Ahsoka's pinned. You can force speed, spend the focus. Now she's no longer pinned because the first time that she would make an advance, you know, she's she did because you just spent a force. So effectively, you're spending a force to get rid of pinned and then you can do your regular action, which I think is pretty powerful. Wow. Yeah. You can't keep her down. That's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of laying the framework of how fast she is, right? And I love this too, Oman, because something we touched on briefly in our rules episode, only briefly, but I think it's very relevant in this game with our MCP background, but it's still kind of blowing my mind too, is the fact that you can't like double dip in actions in this game, right? Like It's very different from Marvel Christ Protocol in that way. It, honestly, it's the biggest difference between the two games. Like, Forget all the other differences, right? Those are the biggest. And so if you have a character like Ahsoka is, that says, well, you kind of can double dip on moving, right? She can do that because she can spend a force to move and then or advance, and then she can advance on her own turn with an action. Very powerful, right? It's getting around a, a base rule state of not being able to do things twice. Agreed. I think that's an excellent point that you brought up. Shatterpoint is unique in that regard, rightfully so, and it should have it should be given the fact that the nature of the board setup is a little bit more condensed, but also spread out, if that makes sense at the same time. Yeah. And not being able to double move, but Ahsoka being able to double move is is quite the boon. I think it's going to be a staple of her character, right? And um, something you got to think about every time you see her on the battlefield. But moving on to her next ability, which is a reactive ability called What's the Matter? Too Fast for You? Costs two force power, which is a lot. When a character in this unit would suffer damage from a melee attack, this unit may use this ability. This unit suffers half the damage in the damage pool. The attacking unit suffers the remaining damage. You know, we talked earlier about Ahsoka maybe having less health when compared to Anakin and, and Maul. But in this, this kind of helps her with her survivability, right? Keep in mind that when damage is halved, you must always round up. So if someone is doing five damage, you're going to take three. Got it. That is laid out in the rulebook. There's actually a specific example that pertains to this particular ruling or this particular ability rather. But I really like this. Now, there's a lot of nuance that can actually surround this whole concept, right? If I know that you have the force to spare and I am going to maybe attack with one of my heavy hitter fighters, I may be disincentivized to actually follow through my entire damage chart because there is a potential fear of you saying, you know what, you're just going to take half that damage back, which can be quite compelling and can create this weird pressure on your opponent on them not knowing whether they should do because it's almost a situation. And again, this is only if you have the force available where it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't because you might not use it and they might not take full advantage of their damage tree. Or if they do do it, then they are also going to take just as much damage as they're dishing out. Yeah, it's inadvertent control. I talk about this a lot in my 
other podcast, Furious Finance, where it's like you are creating game states through this just existing and you're in your opponent's head, right? Whether or not you're necessarily thinking of doing this or not, they don't know, right? But they know it's always a possibility with this character. So I also find it very intriguing and interesting that Ahsoka can change her stats in a way. I mean, really, like her stamina is higher than we think. It's it's it, Now it's this mathematical number we can't quite quantify because she has this ability that costs two force, which is a lot. But it's a massive ability that just completely just shuts down damage coming into her. It's really just giving her a lot of extra health in some ways. So it's it's a simple way to think about it, but it is interesting. And most notably, Amon, you're shutting down the amount of successes, right? That your opponent's going to perform on you. And we've seen with these damage trees how powerful and cool they get the further you go down where you get to. The places you get to sometimes are very interesting and powerful. And she's kind of shutting that down. And I like it a lot. And also, let's not understate this part of the counter-strike is what i'm gonna call it but that sort of like she dishes damage back to you part and that's pretty cool because it's not even her turn and she's dealing damage to you through this sort of counter-strike last sentence of this ability absolutely and again it is expensive right if we take into account that the average at least from the current information we have with the game the average force pool per primary is three right that's six you're spending a third of your potential force pool until you reset your order deck to get this ability off so you definitely want to pull it and save it for those big moments. You know, we talk about dice spikes a lot in MCP. I'm sure you talk a lot about it on your podcast as well, where like sometimes your opponent just rolls hot and there's nothing you can do about it. That's the nature of D8s and attack dice or D8s. This is almost kind of like a recalibration matrix in that regard, right. if you're familiar with MCP. But if you're not, again, I think this lets Ahsoka hang with the big boys and might actually punish them in more ways than one, which is incredible. No, absolutely. I mean, she's got some cool abilities on this card, but I mean, this might be one of her standout ability because it is kind of like this insurance for her, right? Like this is her exceptional healing, right? And MCP, like it is like this sort of thing where it's like, you think you got her and she saved the force for this and then you don't have her and now she's going to get to do everything she wanted to do on her turn, right? Which you thought you were, you were going to remove for this particular round. So I think it's very cool. And I think it makes her unique because we've already got this play style of she's very fast. And now you add this element to it where taking less damage than you thought and watch out. She's going to give you damage back that you're not ready for, maybe. I think that's actually really exciting as well, because from a lore perspective, like I just love the obvious Anakin influence here. Yes. She is, it's that witty banter. It's that smack talk where she's trying to get in your head. And I think the damage might represent the mental toll that you might be taking in a duel with her, the focus. Nice. Yeah. So I like that. And then again, also, like, I cannot understate the mind games that you can employ with this ability simply existing. Again, you talked about it earlier. Inadvertent control. Like, rather than, like, doing direct control in the game with a ability to control your opponent's units, this is just control that's baked into the game state, right? Like, Shield and Marvel Crisis Protocol is a big part of this, right? It's just possibilities of paths you could go through the game state. Inverted control, I think, is, is really cool because your opponent might just take a subpar activation mm, yep, and not go through on that damage tree in fear, possibly even taking out their own character through like a really big spike. Yeah. Especially if their character is pretty hurt, right? Like they're mm -hmm. like, should I really attack Ahsoka who's going to repost me? Like that's really what this is. Ahsoka is dodging out of your way. She's smack talking you and then she's hitting you, right? Like you thought you had this big swing at her. And she's kind of spidey sensing through it, quite frankly. And it's pretty cool. But it's very powerful. And it 
the toll is high, Amon, on your force, and rightfully so. Yeah, I, I really like it. And I can just imagine like the positioning game with Ahsoka, like put her in a situation where, you know, she's duking it out with a big person where you may have damaged over the course of the game. They need you to get off this point and you kind of force them into a making a decision, whether it's worth it or not to pursue Ahsoka, whether or not, you know, you're going to use this ability. And I don't know. I mean, she might be too fast for you. She is for most, quite frankly. Now, another cool ability that Ahsoka has, it's a reactive ability called deflect. After a shooting attack targeting a character in this unit is resolved, this unit may use this ability. If the attack roll contained one or more failure results, the attacking unit suffers two damage. What do you think? Once again, you're not wanting to attack her. You're you're afraid to, right? And I like this one or more. It's just like, are there failures present? Simple. Take damage. This can be a theme we see with a lot of the Jedi going forward. It makes a lot of sense. Get used to it. It's a cool reactive ability. I almost call it an innate ability because it is innate to these Force users in some ways, but it's a reactive ability. Costs nothing, Amon. Free 99. Free 99 to just shoot that terrible shot right back at the target that shot you. So once again, you're in that state where you're a ranged shooting unit. You're kind of hurt. Do you want to attack Ahsoka? It's also like the idea of that, you know, Jedi do have the ability to punish mere mortals, if you will. And I think that's a really good example of her doing that. Yeah. But the theme that I'm getting from Ahsoka is that she's a character that you don't want to be overconfident against, you know, much to Lord Maul's chagrin. If you, right. you know, she seems weaker than she really is. And if you try to take advantage of that perceived weakness, she's going to punish you. She's going to punish you whether you're shooting at her or you're in melee because she's got some really cool abilities that allow her to hit a little bit above her weight class. We haven't got to her damage trees yet. And we're seeing a theme with her that is like, she will punish you for making mistakes. Right. And I find that very cool. But of course, you can't close out her card with without her identity. You know, we talked about how cool they are in the rules episode. They kind of are what make these primaries tick. And her identity is Fierce Protector. When an enemy character wounds another allied unit, so not Ahsoka's unit, another allied unit, after the effect is resolved, one character in this unit may advance towards the enemy character that caused the effect. Then the character that moved may heal three. Or if the character is engaged with the enemy character, it may make a five dice melee attack targeting that enemy character. So a lot of things here, Amon. You attack Ahsoka's allies. She may advance towards the enemy that attacked your ally. Then she may either heal or if your ally is engaged with the enemy character and she's in range, she may make a five dice melee attack targeting that enemy character saying, do not attack my friends. This is really cool. And I think this speaks to volumes of two who Ahsoka is as as her character, as expressed through this identity. Yep. I think two themes again. So the first theme we mentioned is that Ahsoka will punish you for attacking her. The second theme is that Ahsoka is very mobile in conjunction with force speed and now fierce protector. And again, there's no force cost here, right? So we see Ahsoka potentially being able to zip across the board depending on who you're attacking, which again puts more pressure on your opponent. If you're playing against Ahsoka, now you have to really think about, like, do I really want to attack this character? Because now Ahsoka can now move towards this character. And does that move, that advance cause my opponent to potentially score more objectives, score more points, or maybe cause me to score less points. That's that's another another load that Ahsoka is putting just by being on the board. Now, what I really think is really impressive about this ability is the fact that she gets three separate heal triggers. <laughs> that's right. One great way that we've discussed previously is that to shut down a character, you just kind of slap conditions on them. But now she can just move, remove up to three conditions off herself or another friendly character within range two. Or heal three herself or heal another character within range two up to three times, right? It's incredible. 
Right. And then on top of that, she can just smack you. And five dice is not a lot. You're not going to really get a lot of damage through, but that chip damage and those spikes happen, that can be the difference in some situations. And she's got options, right? And a thing we're, theme we're seeing with her, Amon, is she's an out of activation character, right? Like it's your turn and I'm playing Ahsoka. I'm doing stuff on your turn with Ahsoka. I think that's super cool. And I think maybe the basis of her kit in a lot of ways, right? Where it's like you're put in a situation where you don't really want to attack her or her allies and you got to make decisions on what you're going to do. What's the least bad for you as the opponent of Ahsoka, right? And how are you going to deal with that? So I find that very, I don't know, I find that very cool and very Jedi, quite honestly, right? Because she's doing stuff for herself or her allies on your turn. And I find the reactive stuff just super neat. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't necessarily think Ahsoka is going to be your beat stick. No. I think Ahsoka is a support piece in the guise of a primary whose goal is to simply help you stay on points, help your allied units stay on points, and maybe get to harder reach points. Yeah, I like that a lot, quite honestly. Well, that's her abilities, Amon. And it's time mm-hmm. to move on to her forms. And she has two. Honestly, her stance cards are really impressive. And she's got Form 5 Shen Reverse Grip and then Jarkai. I think we should start with Form 5 Shen Reverse Grip. Okay. And the reason being is because I think this is the form you want to start the game in. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's more balanced. I think it allows her to be more maneuverable. And that's probably going to be more important in the beginning of the game. But it also allows her to, you know, get those conditions off because she's the, the upper path on this chart gives you the ability to heal up to four times on offense. Yeah. So if she gets into combat early, she can kind of stay relevant and not let her opponent bog her down and reduce her action economy. And then, you know, maybe during her turn, she can flip to the other side, which we'll talk about in a moment, and maybe get some more offensive output here. Well, let's talk about Form 5, Shein Reverse Grip. This is the iconic stance Ahsoka has where she has the sabers behind her back. So before we get into her tree and her expertise, we're going to talk about the ranged and melee stats of this form. Pretty simple, Amon. The ranged attack is nothing because she's a Jedi with saber and the range defense is seven now the melee is pretty simple it's six on attack and six on defense what does this say to you yeah again i think this is one of the reasons why you probably want to start on this side particularly because you're going to be more prone to being shot at with those range attacks okay and the seven dice set range is significantly better than five the five that you're going to get on jarkai what i also really like about ahsoka's defensive characteristics is she only needs really one expertise because that one expertise gives her a block and turns an opponent's crit into a regular hit, which is then blockable by your other dice. And seven dice is, is a pretty decent roll on defense. Yeah, pretty good. So the raw dice is just going to give you obviously more expertise, which shuts down more of their dice on when you're defending, quite honestly. So it uh, makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we've already alluded to it, but I mean... Jarkai has less defense on the range attacks, right? It's down to five. So right now we're already at a position where we're juxtapositioning these two sides. And I don't know. I, I, I'm i curious, like the differences on the damage trees on these two sides, quite honestly. I think the most important thing with form five is that the first result offers a shove. Gotcha. So if you want Ahsoka to tank damage, want her to be able to heal herself, want her to be someone that's hard to... if you Essentially, if you're focusing on the objective game plan, I think four or five is better. Control. Control, exactly. Yeah, it's it's shoving people, it's repositioning her, doing the heal on her, right? It's just kind of being a question to your opponent. From the beginning point onwards, if you take the bottom tree, and if you are able to like move through the entire damage pool in a best case scenario, you get eight damage, three shoves, a pinned, and a jump. Pretty cool. She's just going to be a nuisance. 
And I think that's why I like the stance, especially to start out with and maybe even end a turn with. Now, if we go, if you look at that upper tree, we get those four heal actions. Mm-hmm. Less damage, but then, you know, we get the shove. So up to two shoves and a jump. So another reposition as well. So maybe push someone off a point and then reposition to where the rebuttal is maybe less effective. Yeah. So two shoves instead of three, no pinned, but a whole bunch of heals. And you still got that jump. I just don't think conditions ever really are going to bother Ahsoka. No. Yeah, no, no. Definitely not. I don't know. It's pretty cool. I'm on Like this swarm seems like a pretty standard place to be with her. It's a good default space. When in doubt, keep Ahsoka in form five. I think when you want to turn on the offensive output of Ahsoka, that's when you're going to move to Jarkai. You set it up. I'm on like a professional podcast. Let's get into Jarkai. So we already mentioned the defenses on the range are down to five and you have no ranged attack. The attack of the melee, though, is much higher. The attack of the melee is seven instead of six. And the defense of the melee is down from six to five. Absolutely. So again, you're trading that defensive nature for maybe Ahsoka taking risks. And when she takes risks, she hits hard, right? Seven dice is, is pretty decent. And this is where you're going to get a ton of damage because her the starting point is auto two damage. Then you go to a disarm and then another damage and then three damage. So if you get three successes, you're doing six damage in a disarm, which removes the offensive expertise output from the opponent that she might be fighting, which is pretty incredible. And then from there, it's really what condition you want to place. Is it a strain or is it a pin? Followed by either more damage and a shove, which, you know, if you kind of roll above average or or decently with these attacks, she can dish out a lot of pain. This tree is pretty unique, Amon, where it's like you've got the three spots initially that you just have to go, which is the two damage, the damage and the disarm and the three damage. So you're already sitting at a whopping six damage. And then the tree branches off the last two spots. So you can kind of like see what's happened so far, you know, and you can kind of go the different route after that. Like, do you need to finish them off or do you need to put some conditions out? Now, closing out her card, we got to talk about her expertise and what they mean for her attack and defense. and. Amon, you've kind of already hinted at her defense, but let's talk about her melee attack real quick. It's lightsabers. On expertise of one to two, you're going to get two more hit. Pretty solid. Yeah, because that just means one die result is... Yeah, exactly. So you're going to immediately, if you just if you just roll one expertise and nothing else and your opponent doesn't block it, you're going to auto deal yeah. three damage and a disarm. Yeah. Pretty good. It's not bad at all. <laughs> After this point, it gets pretty simple. If she has three to four expertise, she gets two crits. And if she has five and up expertise, five plus expertise, she gets three crits. Yeah. And and if you want to compare the two offensive expertises, the only difference is that on form five, that five up, she's getting two crits in a hit. And again, obviously, Jarkai is the more offensive stat. But I, I wouldn't really ever look at the five plus expertise. That's like very niche case scenarios where you just kind of roll an anomaly. Gotcha. The safe space that you want to really maybe take into account and possibly even try to hope for in the same way that you would hope for a wild and MCP is like the one to two range. That's where you can probably go into attack and be like, realistically, I'll probably roll one expertise. Not always, but realistically, I should. And that's what's going to happen. And that's going to help me with my offensive output. And I like that. Again, I think form five is my preferred realm for Ahsoka, the preferred stance. Okay. Given the fact that it just lets her be the nuisance that she, I think, is designed to be. But I have turned on the heat with Jarkai and I've done some pretty solid damage. But when you're looking at the starter set as a whole, if your opponent loves to play Anakin and or Maul, I think you're always going to want to pair Ahsoka across from those characters because you can punish them because she might be too fast for them. I love to hear that. Absolutely. Uh, Mon, do you want to run us through her defensive expertise real quick and close out, close out her card? The defensive stats for the expertise are the same, but the dice ranges in which they live in are a little different. 
So I'll start with form five. Form five is a little bit more forgiving when it comes to expertise dice in the sense that it doesn't require you to roll as many expertise dice to benefit from these defensive abilities. Gotcha. So if you roll just one expertise for both forms, you're going to get one block and you can turn an opponent's crit, which is unblockable, to a standard hit, which makes it potentially blockable giving on the dice outcomes. Now this is where it differs, so I'll just run through form five and then I'll go back to Jarkai. Form five, two to three is two blocks, turn a crit into a hit and she gets a jump. If you roll four plus expertise, two blocks, crit into a regular hit, jump and a heal. Pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, the fact that she's getting jumps too, once again, defensively, I just, I, I just love that. It's once again, oh, you're playing your turn? I'm doing stuff with the soak on your turn. Yeah. And, I, and, and you'll see that a lot in Shatterpoint, and I of like course. that. because It's the it, dual it, nature. Exactly. Exactly. It makes that dual nature more d- dynamic, quite honestly. Like, it makes it feel like a Star Wars 1v1, you know, yeah. with these characters. But you did mention, Amon, the Jarkai is less forgiving on this defensive side. What did you mean by that? Yeah, less forgiving in the sense that it requires her to be a little bit more of an expert when it comes to defense <laughs> when she's in that form, right? For lack of a better term. So I mentioned the ranges for acrobatics on form five are one, two to three, and four. The same levels and the same results happen on Jarkai, but the ranges are different. It's one to two, three to four, and five plus. That mid-range is much harder to get to, quite honestly. That mid-place you want to be. Yes. With form five, you're going to get a lot of benefits by rolling two expertise. With Jarkai, you need three. And that's actually a very big difference in terms of statistics. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense, too, because once again... You switched on the gas, you know, you're looking for all that damage, like you're exposed, you're not being defensive, you know, this is no Qui-Gon here, you know, this is, we're going full Anakin here. So I, I love the pros and cons of both sides, quite honestly. And uh, you already mentioned like too, if your expertise is hidden on that Jarkai side, man, you're hitting real hard, you know, on top of this damage tree, which is hitting real hard. In the same way that form five rewards you on the defensive expertise, the same thing is happening on the Jarkai side for offensive expertise, right? Very cool. The ranges are easier to get in. That mid-range is easier to get into on offense for Jarkai versus it is for Form 5. So I actually think AMG did a really good job with designing Ahsoka because it's very clear cut for a new player on what form does what. You want defense? Play Form 5. You want offense? Play Jarkai. And I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but hey, it does from time to time. Very good. <laughs> very good. Well, Amon, closing out this Ahsoka Jedi No More character section. What are some of the tenets of her play, we think? Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, I think you may not necessarily want to place her first when deploying your primaries. And again, because I think Ahsoka is more of a reactive piece. Figure out where they're going to try to place their big hitter, that character that that you know is going to cause problems for you, because Ahsoka can mitigate that. Not always. And sometimes she might just get clobbered. And that's okay. That's just dice games. But she has the tool set to be able to withstand that and potentially punish that character and not let them perform at the efficacy in which your opponent may trying to hope that they perform in. That would be number one for me. Number two, like she can get anywhere she wants to, which is pretty exciting. So if she does happen to win her 1v1, she can help influence other sides of the board. Or if the second struggle forces a dynamic shift in what active objectives you're trying to fight over, she can get there fairly quickly, especially with force speed. But again, she is also a little predictable with what's the matter too fast for you. Because if you don't have the force pool, she's nowhere near as tough as you may necessarily need her to be. And if she does, your opponent could try to force you to use it early on, which could reduce the efficacy of maybe some of your other units. Because again, if you have six, 
Yeah. Shared force pool. Yeah. You're, you're using 33% of your force pool. Maybe that's not what you want to do, you know? And I, I like the decision making. I like the risk versus reward. Overall, I'm, I'm very happy with Ahsoka. I think she plays how she should based on what I've seen in the shows and the, the other media. Absolutely. She loves her allies. She plays very reactively, which I find very cool. And she's very agile. And as you said, Amon can reposition at the drop of a hat, which I think is very cool in this game where we need to reposition at the drop of a hat all the time because the nature of the game state, the objectives constantly changing. And she can be a strong piece for that very thing. Also, the thing that's come up in this section, Amon, is I love this concept of her playing on your turn a little bit. Like you said, some of it can be predictable, but also other parts of it, you just don't know what's going on in your opponent's head when they're playing Ahsoka and what they're planning to do, what they're planning to react to you. A lot of questions. She's a big question asking character. And I like that a lot. And we'll see her probably a lot in this game because she seems super solid and could have a lot of interesting synergy with models potentially in the future, right? Because she's, like you said, a glorified super support that's posing as a primary. And she can also switch on that primary damage dealing when she needs to do it as well. So I think she's going to fit a lot of places and be a staple of this game. But time will tell. And that means we got to move on. I'm on to our next box mate. It's Bo-Katan Kreese. We've seen a lot of her lately in Star Wars, which has been very exciting. And we're going to do a quick lore on her. So Bo-Katan Kreese was a Mandalorian human female princess, of course, born into the house Kreese on Mandalore. Over her life, she's had numerous roles. She became a lieutenant in the Death Watch terrorist group. She became commanding officer in the Night Owls. And she also was a leader of the Mandalore resistance against the Empire. She had even laid claim with the Mandalore of her own homeworld through a lot of different means, through different shows. And her history is very complicated because she's tied directly to her sister, Satine, who ruled as Duchess of Mandalore, but always advocated for pacifism. And Bo-Katan was not about that life. And so they were always at odds with each other. What's super cool about Bo-Katan is that she, she's failed a lot, once again, like Ahsoka, and she'd become a really good leader from it. You know, she's she's had to learn to become a leader through failure in a lot of ways. And that's something we see a lot. And she's a really tough character on top of that, too. Very strong character. And many threads of her character arc through several Star Wars shows and maybe now even movies in the future. We'll see. <laughs> and I think she's going to be a recurring person in this game. So it's cool to know her lore a little bit. I like Bo-Katan a lot. I think we've seen her a lot in Mandalorian season three and even before that. And it's been nice to get more insight into, obviously, I think everyone loves Mandalorians, but the political aspect of it, hmm. I think the discontent and friction that she had with Satine, something that she learned a lot from positively and negatively, because, you know, Mandalorians are a warrior culture. Part of their religion is their guns and their armor, their weapons, right? Right. And so you have Someone who's saying, nah, you know, like, let's not do any of that. And that can be hard for any group of people. But what I really like that you said earlier is that Bo-Katan has failed a lot. And what I really like about her, aside from the fact that she has a sick helmet. That's right. And Ahsoka is that they're oftentimes reluctant heroes, but they will always answer the call to action. For sure. Yeah. Bo-Katan's a fan favorite too, because she's a reluctant hero. It's gray most of the time, you know? It's why people love Venom so much, right? It's these type of characters that are kind of live in the gray. She's in fact an anti-hero a lot of the time, right? And this is interesting. This is interesting because you don't always exactly know where her motivations lie, right? And as she grows as a as a person in age and wisdom and just grows into her own self, she really becomes this great leader and this sort of driving force for 
keeping this Mandalore royal family thing going, but it's not in a selfish, egotistical way. It's in a very like unifying of the people way. We haven't really talked about her fighting prowess, but it should be apparent she's a Mandalorian. She's highly trained, got all the gadgets, got all the armor. She's also wielded the Darksaber numerous times through different eras. And that also proves her her prowess as well. Because I mean, there's a lot of reasons you can or cannot wield the Darksaber. She can't. So I kinda I think that's enough to frame our discussion on her because she is a pretty rich character in Star Wars, but she's a secondary Amon. And the secondaries are never going to get as much time as our primaries on this show. So that's just how it's going to be. And we're, we're going to expand in these characters more in the future, I assume. Because they're going to come up again. In regards to the way that you should take a look at this character and try to digest this character, is again, this is the Bo-Katan that has not gone through the trials and tribulations that you may have in Rebels or Mandalorian. This is the Bo-Katan who is at the end of the Clone Wars, where Mandalore is still an actual planet that is hospitable. Absolutely. And there's a civil war going on, right? And she's part of that as well. So it's like, what's her piece in all of this, right? Yeah. But going to her unit card, which again, I love these full artwork stuff. It's it's so beautiful. Hmm. Bo-Katan, secondary unit, single miniature in that unit. Four points, which I feel like is pretty standard for what we've seen so far, especially the secondary units. I guess I'll just go over her tags really quickly and then you can jump into the abilities, Jesse. Tags, which I find very interesting is that she's got multiple tags, right? Clan Kree's, Death Watch, Mandalorian, Night Owls. So obviously off the jump, we have Mandalorian synergies, which I'm sure we'll discuss. But what's really cool is in the future, if they decide to create more Night Owl-centric characters or more Death Watch-centric characters or Clan Kree-centric characters, right? She could benefit or not benefit depending on how stringent they want to be, which is pretty exciting. It is cool. It's a lot of future proofing, which I really like. So getting into the final part of Bo-Katan's stats is she has a stamina of eight and a durability of two. So she's a secondary. It's less. We just know this is a feature of the game. Eight times eight, 16 stamina total. This is kind of looking at that range of what secondaries might look like, but still respectable. I mean, yeah, it's just one less than Ahsoka and Asad, right? Yeah. Just less durability, right? For the wound threshold. Yeah. Which is fair because, you know, they're the secondary. Yeah, makes perfect sense. So now we got to move on to the next section, which of course is her abilities, just like we did on Ahsoka. And starting with her first ability, Amon, it's pretty unique because it's our first instance on the show of covering a tactic ability. It's that like cross symbol, pride of the Mandalore. So this is, of course, is going to happen immediately when you draw Bo-Katan's card and you decide to go with her. At the start of this unit's activation, choose another Mandalorian character. Choose another allied Mandalorian character. The chosen character may jump. It's pretty good. Yeah. There's a lot of synergies there. I think jump is really cool because you're using the the dash tool, right? Right. It's a really good ability because of the synergies that can be taken advantage of when list building. There are four Mandalorian units in the core box. As long as they have the Mandalorian keyword, they can take advantage of that. So I think if you really want to utilize some additional movements and synergy, which I think a lot of people will naturally gravitate to because everyone loves Mandos, a free jump for an allied Mandalorian character is, is pretty good. Now, keep in mind that this says Mandalorian character. It doesn't say Mandalorian unit. If you're paired with Clan Klee's Mandalorians, you don't get to move both of them. You're just moving one of them because it's with a character. And remember that this is another allied. So she technically is allied to herself, but you can't pick her. Because it says another. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty simple. And I, I think it's a strong start every time she goes. Like she's helping Mandalorians move around. And it's also kind of pointing right off the gate, that she wants Mandalorians with her. Not really split. Yeah, like she's a secondary in command, right? So she's going to be like, hey, you jump over there. Nice. That's cool. It is cool. The next ability is an active ability, jetpack, 
cost one force. Each character in this unit may jump. So she can jump for one one force cost. Yeah, mobility is good, right? We're learning that in this game and certain characters are not going to have it. So when characters have it, good stuff. Yep. And remember, it does not take an action. Always love that too. So once again, getting a little bit of an extra game state breaking action, you know, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the next ability of Bond is pretty cool. And it's the iconic line. It's a reactive ability. Mandalorians are stronger together. After this unit makes a move action, it may use this ability. If a character in this unit is within range two of another allied Mandalorian character, this unit immediately makes a focus action. Once again, this is reactive, costs nothing, encouraging her to stay with her Mandalorians more and more and more. Free focus is cool. And I think it's really powerful, especially if you tend to draw Bo-Katan earlier in your order deck, because the moment you draw her, you get to move another Mandalorian character, then make a move action. She could advance. And then maybe because you placed it correctly through Pride of Mandalore, she gets to benefit from Mandalorians are stronger together, which means her next attack gets plus one dice. She's inspired because her fellow Mandalorians are around her. Mm -hmm. The theme is cool. More confident too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So you can immediately see the synergies just based on those three abilities alone. And we're going to take that a step further with a innate ability called Mandalore Will Survive. After this unit makes a focus action, one character in this unit may dash and heal twice. Now, again, we just went over Mandalorians are stronger together. So I'm going to go through this chain again. Start the turn. Pride of the Mandalore. Move somebody. Then potentially jetpack. Okay, then Mandalorians are stronger together. Then she makes a focus action. Oh, she made a focus action. Great. Now she gets a dash and heal. So, I mean, like, it's crazy, right? Like, she can do a lot as long as she's near Mandalorians. And I think that's the intent. Yeah, this is very, like, a little bit of a history buff here, Amon, but this is very, like, Spartan stuff, you know? It's like, oh, all the Spartans mm-hmm. are next to each other. All these triggers are happening. You know, they're getting better and better. I, this is very cool. Like, I mean, on her turn, she's getting free focus. She's getting free dash, free heal. Honestly, right? Every time she goes. Yeah. And the theme of this podcast might just be mobile characters because Bo-Katan, Ahsoka, very mobile characters. Yeah. I mean, Ahsoka tapping into the forest, Bo-Katan making great use of her jetpack. It's pretty neat. It is super neat. Yeah. And I love it a lot. And I love this sort of chaining of events Amon has laid out for us here because you're going to want to do this every time with her if you can. Well, her final ability, Amon, is pretty simple. It's also another innate ability called Some of Us Serve a Higher Purpose. Allied Mandalorian characters within range three of this unit that are contesting one or more active objective tokens have the keywords protection and steadfast. That is an extremely powerful ability because steadfast and protection are very, very powerful tools. And she's giving them both to an allied unit that's contesting an active objective. So going with protection when this character is defending before applying the damage pool, just remove one damage from the damage pool. It's a free block, right? On top of all that that you rolled? Not necessarily a block because like if the whole damage pool is doing six damage, you just reduce it to five. So against some damage trees, it could effectively work as an additional block because maybe each damage point in the tree is only one damage. But against a character that maybe like Anakin or Ahsoka even who might do two damage in an attack success, you're just reducing the efficacy of it by at least 50%, if not negating it entirely. Sounds great. Yeah. And keep in mind, this is every Mandalorian character within three of her. Yes. As long as they're allied Mandalorian characters within three of this unit that are contesting one or more active objective tokens, including herself, because she is within three of herself. And it doesn't say other. So she's given herself 
protection and steadfast. Steadfast is really, really good. Okay. Because when you're defending against attack, the first time you are shoved, you do not take the shove. You don't move. Love that. I mean, it's one of the best things in the game, right? Like we know this game is going to be a lot of positioning. You're stopping your opponents messing up your positioning. And it's even more important if you think about the way objectives are scored. Yep. Right. If you own an objective effectively, your opponent can't take it from you unless you're no longer there. It doesn't work like MCP where like you tie the point. Right. I have to knock you off the point. It's a lot harder for you to knock me off my point if I'm always getting steadfast and protection Maybe not necessarily knocking off the point, but just maybe maybe your goal is to just try to take me out, you know? And oftentimes in MCP, you get left on one, and we all know how important that one damage could be to save your life. It's not necessarily as common in Shatterpoint, I will say, through my experience, but hey, man, reducing damage is reducing damage. It stacks up with the course of a full game, right? Yes. We got to move on to the next section I'm on, which is talking about Bo-Katan's stance card. And yes, it is one Stance card. Yes, absolutely. Primaries get two stances while all secondaries and supporting units gets one, which makes sense because... Simpler. They're not as fancy. Exactly. Simpler. I really like Bo-Katan's stance card. It seems very fair, right? And for one stance, you kind of want it to live in that area where you kind of benefit in both ways. So just quickly go over the stats. She has a range for ranged attack. That's our first instance of seeing the actual range. We did a Soko with no range period. So range four, I see a number there of a range ruler we're going to use. Yes. So range four, six dice on offense. And when she's taking range attacks and defending, she only gets four. Okay. The same applies to her melee defense, which is also four. She gets one additional attack die at seven. And I guess maybe that's because like the whip cords and the flamethrowers and punching, punching people. I like that, Bo. I like that. That's good. That's good. So you said fair. I think fair is pretty strong here to mention that with these and i like the range four a lot i'm on like i i respect range four uh coming from mcp range four is pretty rare in mcp and when it comes up you know you know it means a lot because a lot of characters live in that range three range and we'll see what it, the route shatterpoint fully goes with that but does that seem fine to me yeah i think range four is probably going to be the default because we live in this blaster world right right where even small guns can shoot quite far distances like think think about that scene from kenobi where he's fighting against, you know, that his adversaries on the rooftops, right? He's got like a little baby blaster and they've got like snipers, but they're shooting the same distance. So right. it's really interesting how it works. Blasters and Star Wars. Yeah. Blaster science for sure. Blaster science. But we did mention blasters, Amon, and I love the theme of this game so much. I felt like that we ha- actually have the blaster titles, which means a lot to me as a, a super Star Wars nerd, but she has the Westar 35 blaster pistols and Let's talk about this tree with these blaster pistols. Which routes are we going on this tree, Amon? Like, what what are we doing with this character? Yeah. One thing before we jump into that is, regardless if you go with the melee or ranged attack, you follow the same damage tree, right? Because there's only one. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the expertise is very interesting on these because they're the exact same, regardless if you want to do range or melee, you know? So you get one expertise, it's you get one additional hit, two to three, you get a crit and a hit, four plus, you get two hits and a free ping damage, which is pretty chill. But looking at the damage tree as a whole, again, this is really interesting because unlike Ahsoka, right, you're seeing a lot of heavy damage being placed. And I think this comes to the fact that Mandalorians are brutal combatants, right? They're going to just open up that can as much as they can. And Bo-Katan certainly does. So you start with two damage. Great. Now it immediately forks, which I think is interesting because as I mentioned earlier, it's a very fair card. It's a very fair stance. 
And the intricacy that they've provided is in the damage options itself. So picking the right damage for you is important. And it really just depends on where you are. If you're trying to wrestle a point from somebody, you probably want to go the bottom route. And the reason being is because your third result is a shove. Third is kind of hard to guarantee, like one or two feels a little bit better overall. And again, dice can happen. If you can just get three results, you'll get four damage through a jump, which can help position you into being more aggressive in the future or more defensive and safe. And then you get that shove. If you're just trying to bam damage, you're going to go up top because you get five damage and a pin condition, right? And then from there, they make the choice for you. You get that other shove. And then you can close out on another shove or just more damage. Yeah. And the cool thing is, is like you get to see all of your results before you plan and map out your damage tree, right? If you know that you're going to get to that fourth spot and you just need one shove, then you're fine because then you can take the upper route and might as well maximize damage. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Something cool that's come up right now in this very show, because we haven't covered on the show yet, but I think it's very unique. Someone who's played all the Star Wars miniatures games over the years, shoves on blaster fire. Very unique to this game. You know, like most, if not all Star Wars games of the past, the sort of like displacement stuff was all force related or like melee, like I'm hitting you type stuff, you know? Well, the Star Wars, I mean, we know the blasters do a lot of things, they do whatever the story needs them to do. But uh, quite frankly, like blasters push people in Star Wars a lot. I just think it's a super cool mechanic with this game I'm on is the fact that I could be shooting from range four with Bo-Katan and shove someone three times with my blaster, you know? Yeah. And I think that denotes the fact that like she's hitting you. It may not be piercing your armor. Right. It might not be taking you out, but it might be forcing you to take a couple steps back, you know? Yeah, yeah, for or like, sure. Imagine like you take a shot, take a step back, take a shot, take another step back, you know? Uh, yeah, we and I mean, and we've seen what like Han's blaster and Chewie's bowcaster do to people. But they shove them way back. So, I mean, there, there's also guns that just physically push you really far in the game. So, like, whatever the narrative is here, right? I find it very cool. But I also like the fact that, like, you got Mandalorians shooting from range and applying a lot of, like, control pressure, too, with the range attacks. I just think it's very cool and something we look at going forward with range characters, like, and just compare, you know, compare, like, damage versus control or, or mix, like, this route. So, I don't know. I think it's a very fair tree, like you said, and I like that you can decide where you want to go. I like it. And just to round out the card, Beskar armor, the expertise there is pretty solid. As long as you get one expertise, you're getting two blocks, you get four plus, you're getting three. Don't really plan for three, but getting two free blocks off one expertise trigger is is pretty solid. Yeah, the Beskar armor makes sense. You're just getting extra blocks. One for two. I'll take it every time. I'll take it every time. I'm on. Mm -hmm. So closing out this sort of Bo-Katan discussion, like what do you think her role is other than I think which kind of the obvious spot that you want her in the middle of all your Mandalorian. Yeah, she definitely shines when she's playing with the other Mandalorian units. I will say that she's a fierce combatant on her own. Gotcha. But she's not very tanky. And I think that's the trade-off that you're going to have to think about. She is a force augmenter. She can, again, as I mentioned, you know, put out that offensive output. But I don't necessarily think she can take that damage incoming very well because four defense is candidly not a lot. If we're going to say that five for offense is, is middling at best, I would say four is the same. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. You got to look at more in the lens of like, she is best when she's with her allies. And that includes extra abilities and tokens, right? Things that are making her stats improve, right? So though you mentioned she can take someone on a one-on-one fight, more vulnerable when she does that, you know, because, you know, Mandalorians are stronger together. Absolutely. And I think that's a great way to kind of break apart the Mandalorian synergy is if you're playing against Bo-Katan, just move her away from the other Mandos. Nice. And then... That ruins about, doesn't ruin, but it takes away about half of the 
efficiency that she has on her card. You know, maybe she can't focus herself and, and, you know, get that free dash. Maybe she doesn't get those extra moves. She doesn't provide protection and steadfast to other characters, which makes them easier to take out. But isolator, there are ways in which you can do that. And it's quite compelling to think about because if you're playing as Bo-Katan, you know your opponent's going to try to do that for the most part. So how do you mitigate that yourself mm-hmm. while still getting the most use out of Bo-Katan, right? I think that's so interesting. No, absolutely. And it, like if you completely displace her, like you're shutting down so many things all at once, right? And I think that some of us serve a higher purpose is one of her coolest features of her card because if you brought a lot of Mandalorians with her, I mean, you're just getting all this value out of all these protections and steadfast going out on the field, right? As long as she's in the center of it. And if your opponent completely displaces her, like that's just gone, right? So like you just lost a huge boon of your list creation, right? With that idea. So I don't know. I, I find that like the highs and lows very interesting in that instance. And I tactically neat. Yeah. And some of his higher purpose is actually very cool if you think about it. And the range could be a little off here, but if you have, you know, because you contest an objective within range two. So if you're at the outskirts of range two, but in maybe in the middle objective of the board, and each of the other units that you're supporting are at maximum range two from their objectives, then in theory, at least, especially if they're two unit characters, or two character units, rather, then you can kind of ensure that they can all kind of be in that quite large bubble that she provides. So you're getting protection at Steadfast on three separate points. Now, at that point, you are maximizing that full range, and you're very vulnerable to a shove on Bo-Katan, but maybe you're the last one to go, or maybe you your opponent can shove you with the characters they have left on that side of the board, right? Like, I think it's so interesting to really think about it. And candidly, this might be a hot take, but I think she's the best secondary in the box. You heard it here, folks. I like it. I like it. No, I definitely think like just reading her card, it's so synergistic with itself. And then, of course, the allies you want to bring with her. You know, it just kind of builds itself. And as Amon said, are you going through the, <laughs> the abilities in order? Things are happening, you know? If you can go through all those things in order, you're getting a lot of value. And that value leads us right into our next unit and our final unit of this episode, which is the Clan Kree's Mandalorians. They're a Mandalorian clan that was part of House Kree's, of course. They were based on Kalavala during the Imperial Era, and they were a group of Mandalorian warriors led by Bo-Katan Kree's. Following the Great Purge of Mandalore, they were reduced basically to a small gang, but they remained under Kree's leadership. And they are known for their armor with most notably the blue, white, and yellow color combinations, mainly the blue and white, and some gray, but the yellow pops up a lot too. You know, they've got some pretty interesting history in Star Wars at large right now that's fully canon, because they are they sh- they pop up a lot. They do pop up a lot. I really do like the miniatures. Um, I do think that they painted one of them a little bit too similar to Django. They just did. Yeah, it's, it's confusing. Like, if you don't know, like, let's say you were just like a Star Wars film fan, you'd seen none of the shows. Yeah. You would just think this is Django, probably. Yeah, when I first saw the miniature, that was my initial reaction. And then I was like, wait, that's not Django for a couple of reasons. There's a couple of things different, yeah. Yeah, I just wish they maybe, like, you know, the three-part, four-part chess piece, just throw a little blue on one of those panels. Yeah, or even some white, right? Some white markings, like, we've, we've seen yeah. various things. I don't know. You get hobby ideas right now. Just You can go full Night Owls with this if you want to, right? More of the white yeah. markings and stuff. I'm going to paint that guy as Axe. Axe Wolf, yeah. Yeah, Axe Wolf. Yeah, perfect. Perfect decision. So, Amon, let's move on to the supporting unit to close out this episode because, you know, the supporting unit's a lot simpler, but a crucial piece of the game. As Amon talked about in our rules section, my head is still spinning in this game how we have these multi-character units, you know, like multiple models and they share stats, which is the most mind-blowing part, but they can be separated if they want to be. They're four points, which 
This seems pretty average, right? I'm on the four point range. Yeah, I think four points is fair and it, it allows them to fit into most squads given that most primaries, at least from what it seems like thus far, are eight points. Yep. Anakin might be the exception of the rule, but we've talked about why he is the exception of the rule because his card itself paying dividends. He's the sky guy. He's the sky guy. So four points and closing out their stats, they have a stamina of seven, really not much less than Bo-Katan at all, and a durability of two. Yes. And as a supporting unit, they have two characters within said unit. Makes perfect sense. And we talked about in the rules episode how interesting, powerful, and unique that is in this game because they share actions. But that also means you get double of actions, right? They attack. That's two attacks, you know? Exactly. And well, yeah, it's honestly a double-bladed sword because you're going to <laughs> get punished for that. But let's jump into their tags very quickly. Mandalorian, Death Watch, Clan, Kreese, and Trooper. Trooper is something that I think we'll talk more about when we address some of the other units in this box. But very simply, I think at this point, all Mandalorians, they got a jetpack at cost of force. So that is a active ability. Each character of this unit may jump. Now, this is really cool with Clan Kreese Mandalorians is you get two jumps. All the jumps. Yeah. I also love that they're Clan Kreese Amon and they're not Night Elves. Once again, like, think that space you talked about earlier that we could expand on, right? Like we got like factions within the sub factions, you know, of Mandalorian stuff, but jetpacks for days and you'll pay a force for this. Yeah. I mean, I can barely, very easily see you just doing this early, early game. Gotcha. Just to get in position. Yeah. Early scoring too, right? Early scoring. Yeah. You could effectively contest two points off the jump, off the rip. Nuts. It's pretty good stuff. Their next ability is going to look pretty similar. It's a reactive ability. Mandalorians are stronger together. After this unit makes a move action, it may use this ability. If a character in this unit is within range two of another allied Mandalorian unit, this unit immediately makes a focus action. Easy to remember, Amon. You're playing Bo-Katan. You're playing these characters. Just make sure they are range two of each other. Get free focuses the whole game. Now, focuses are really cool because you get that one extra dice. It benefits the Mandalorians, the Clan Kree's Mandalorians a little bit more because of their helmet visor innate ability because they have sharpshooter one. So when you focus with them, yeah, you'll get plus one extra dice for a melee attack. But because of sharpshooter, you're going to get two extra dice when you make a ranged attack. Because the sharpshooter keyword essentially is when you spend a focus, you get X amount more depending on what your sharpshooter value is. Yeah. So sharpshooter is the ranged and impact is the melee equivalent. So yes, it just denotes that this particular clan of Mandalorians is particularly good at shooting things, maybe because of their helmet visors, right? Right. And focuses are actually good for them, right? Like they're just straight up. Yeah. Focus is great regardless, right? Because you get that plus one dice on melee on your next attack period. But if you decide to do a ranged attack, you're going to get plus two. Yeah. It just stacks right on top of the focus. It's just like more focus for that ranged attack, right? So I find it very cool. But also, you still mm-hmm. got the versatility of using focus on a melee attack, like Amon said, if you just want to use melee, right? All good stuff. We like free tokens, <laughs> and we like synergy within our squad, and it seems like they have a lot. What are your thoughts on the playstyle of this unit? They're honestly mini Bo-Katans, and so I think a lot of the thoughts that we shared on the Bo-Katans apply here, especially because of the whole Mandalorian strategy of being near one another, supporting one another, and benefiting off one another by being more accurate. If you are within Bo-Katan's, some of us serve a higher purpose bubble, protection and steadfast severely improves their survivability. You know, we're looking at seven stamina. It's not a lot. And what I was mentioning earlier about that double-edged sword, right, is like you could have them spread out, but it not only lowers their offensive output in terms of, in terms of target saturation, 
putting a lot of attacks into one potential enemy, you're lowering that offensive output because now they're potentially firing at two different enemies, though range four is quite long regardless. And they're, they don't know. They don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, uh, I can see them getting wounded very quickly. And if one person gets caught up by a primary, you know, your other one goes down the too. The toughest part to wrap your head around, for sure, coming from other minis games in a lot of ways. But Artemon says their ability, it's pretty simple. We've kind of hinted at that they're like a cheaper version of Bo-Katan. And I think that's going to be a theme continuing through this next part with their stance card. What are your thoughts on the stance card? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think when you compare it directly to Bo-Katan, you're going to see a slightly discounted version of what she can absolutely do. Let's start with their dice, right? So range four, six dice on attack at range. More often than not, you're going to get sharpshooters. So that's probably going to be eight, Wow, which is wow. which is incredible. Eight is all, yeah. a lot on a supporting unit. And five on the defense, which is actually one better than Bo-Katan at range. In melee, though, they kind of suffer the same in terms of defense. It's four. And their offensive output significantly goes down to five. Yeah, Bo-Katan's, more interestingly, she, she likes the melee a lot more, which very cool. Uh, they don't. They really don't like it, it seems like. Yeah, because Bo-Katan's firing <laughs> her pistols in melee as well. That's kind of her shtick, right? Whereas these guys are using a vibroblade, and, and vibroblades aren't necessarily, especially against the Jedi. They're like daggers. Yeah, well, they don't work that well. But <laughs> let's talk about their stance and like the directions you can go. So similar to... Well, I guess most uniquely, right out, right out the gate, I'm on. They don't have one place they start. You've got to make a choice right out the gate. Yeah, and I find this to be very compelling because it's it gives you more options again, and I just really like that. So the two starting spots are, do you want to pin somebody and then deal a damage, or do you want to shove them and deal a damage? I think that's relevant, depending on the game state, right? Both great. I think pinned is is kind of enticing because it's a, it's a very harsh condition, especially against non-force users. And non-Mandalorian units, because the jump is kind of kind of works around some of that. Then you get to another shove with two damage, which is which is great because then you can do either do the double shove or you do the pin shove. And then from there it's it's another status condition of your choice, right? Because not all of these have to necessarily do damage. This one now allows you to either disarm a fighter or strain them. And strain is extremely powerful in this game. Okay, good to know. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it when I read the effect, like that's scary. Yeah. And so like if you start on the pinned way and you get to three successes, you've dropped two conditions and three damage, which is which is really all you want from a particular character. Now, the cool thing about this is that if you really want to get one of these to roll off, remember, if they're right next to each other attacking the same target, you're getting two shots. So your first <laughs> Mando could whiff, and that's okay because your second Mango, Mando, Mango, ha, your second Mando should be able to at least get a shove or two off as well as maybe the pin condition, if not more than that. So there's a bit of redundancy built into it. And I like that, especially with sharpshooter. Imagine rolling 16 dice at one person. It's a lot. <laughs> and of course their card closes out with just another shove and three more damage. Like it's a shove and a damage and then two more damage, right? Like the damage is showing up towards the end. Yeah. And and that's not even including the expertise, right? At ranged expertise, if you're rolling one to two dice, you're getting an additional hit, which is awesome. You're going to then get a crit and a hit at three to four, and then five plus, you're getting two crits and a hit. And this is really interesting because Sharpshooter actually might be a little too redundant on them because they have a finite number of damage they can go, right? Like the maximum number of successes they can get is five. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So even if you roll eight hits, it doesn't matter because you can only move five spaces, right? So the Sharpshooter just allows them a little bit more consistency and trying to get to the mid of their damage tree. 
but it's not necessarily going to be severely groundbreaking because at most you can do six damage. It's 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 good, but as you can see, primaries have tools in order to negate that or heal themselves up. So it's not groundbreaking either. And finishing off the gauntlet vibro blade, one to two, one hit, three plus two crits, which that's their melee attack. It's not it's not as good. Nah, I think the super commandos are more melee oriented, and I'm looking forward to talking about them on the next episode. But yeah, I mean it makes sense, and of course. Their expertise, they have best car armor, just like Bo-Katan. You're going to get one block with a result of one expertise. And two expertise up, you're going to get two defense. So once again, just a downgraded version of Bo-Katan's armor. Like just getting less blocks for similar amounts of expertise, right? And makes sense. They are supporting unit. So I guess, Simon, how are we going to play these characters on the map? We've already alluded to the fact that they are kind of like budget Bo-Katans. But what are we going to do with them as a character playstyle? One of the benefits of having multiple character units is the fact that you have the ability to spread them out. I don't think you want to do that with Mandalorians. And that's because of Mandalorians are stronger together. Yep. You want to keep them near each other. You want to keep them near other Mandalorian units to be able to use them to their greatest and fullest potential. And honestly, the amount of ranged output they can provide in conjunction with Sharpshooter which they're almost always going to get because of Mandalorians are stronger together, that free focus action, they can really focus fire somebody down. Keep in mind, again, they're still very vulnerable given their low stamina pool. Absolutely. And of course, some of us serve a higher purpose on Bo-Katan's card. I mean, once again, want to keep them together, keep them by Bo-Katan, get more of those abilities stacked on top of each other, help the fact that they don't have a very high stamina pool, quite honestly. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Amon. And I love the mobility of these characters. Like, you talked about it today. Today's episode's theme is mobility in a lot of ways. And I don't know, these guys that can shoot you from long range and they can always jump around and they can always focus. It's it's pretty neat. AMG has done a fantastic job in encapsulating what it means to be a Mandalorian. Bo-Katan and Clan Kree's make me feel like I'm playing Mandalorians. They make me respect the way that Mandalorians function on the battlefield. And I'm really excited because it's a powerful way to play the game, especially in the early days of Shatterpoint. Absolutely. And this is a pretty cool box to get immediately to the table, right? I'm on. I mean, it's in the core set. We've kind of talked now about Ahsoka, Bo-Katan, and the Clan Kree's Mandalorians. And you can kind of see a lot of synergy w- even within these characters playing together. The synergy between Bo-Katan and Clan Kree's Mandalorians, very obvious. There's a through line. Mandalorians by each other. Things happen. But now I'm bringing Ahsoka into this puzzle. And I'm kind of seeing some themes too, where it's like all these reactions Ahsoka has, right? On top of her mobility, which they have as well. And you talked about some of the weaknesses of the Mandalorians. Well, Ahsoka can kind of patch those weaknesses because now she's coming for you because you came after her allies. Exactly. And if someone is able to deal just a handful of damage to one of these Mandalorians, right? The ideal scenario is you have Bo and both of these Mandalorians near each other so that they're, again, getting that full potential. And then you have Ahsoka come in and she gets that, you know, three heals. Yeah. And remember, you can heal other people within two, so... You know, if the if the Mandalorian unit takes three to four damage, you've just taken most of the damage off. Pretty nice. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And of course, Soka's like completely repositioned herself too, right? So like you've inadvertently given her free stuff to do. I don't know. I, I think it's a very cool box and I'm excited to see it play out on the table, quite honestly. Yeah. I think in my experience, what I've seen is that these are fighters that you're going to like kind of want in between your backline and your midboard. Got it. You have the option to get very aggressive with them, but overextending them gives the opponent more opportunities to break them apart. And if you break up the Mandalorians, that's when they suffer. 
I think it's very evident just from reading the card that you want to keep them very close to one another. Ahsoka is very interesting because she can protect them, but holding the midline alongside them is going to be very helpful. And I think if you're looking at a purely strike team on strike team battle, let's just say Darth Maul, Gar Saxon, other super commandos for simplicity's sake, Ahsoka can distract Maul long enough for you to be able to maybe do enough damage with your other Mandalorians at range. I like it. I like the ideas. I like the synergy. Bo and Ahsoka, I think, are two of the best characters in the box, period. And the Clan Cleese Mandalorians are, are doing really well. Starting out strong on this first, I guess, <laughs> review episode. I guess, yeah. Very strong. And we're seeing a lot of the possibilities the game can go because, I mean, I think framing the game through the lens of Ahsoka first, very interesting because she's so reactive, you know, and she's so what if, you know, she's so like, what if this scenario doesn't go exactly like you thought as the attacker on Ahsoka? And oh no, now she's doing stuff that I didn't necessarily want her to do. And I find that very cool. Like you said, nailed the theme of her. Always looking out for her clones, her troops, her allies, her friends, her loved ones. And then also when she needs to turn that damage on, she can turn it on. I like that a lot. Hats off to AMG. If you look at the rule book, it actually says the lead game developer and designers were Will Schick and Michael Plummer. And then of course, Will Pagani providing additional design. Like I think they crushed it, man. Like it looks so good. If you looked at if you watch Mandalorian or you watch that if you've watched the last couple episodes of Clone Wars season That's seven. Right. And then you immediately read these cards, you'd be like, yep, saw them do that. That makes sense. Heard them say this. That makes sense. Good stuff. It's great. Yeah, we're pleased, Star Wars fans, and of course, gamers here that play these games at a high level where we're like, oh, all these mechanics make sense. All these mechanics are very rewarding to the player that gets all this down. But then in the end of the day, the flavor for Star Wars is it's out of control. It's good. It's awesome. I'm, I'm very pleased. And I really do think the Mandalorian synergy, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the future, pretty evident. And I think you're going to end up using them a lot because Bo-Katan is just so good as a secondary. It's very plug and play, right? Like just build your Mandalorian squad, bring her out. She does all the things for them that you want and uh, start playing games. Absolutely. Yeah. There's just, it's they're, they're just one of those things where it's like, you don't get, you're not going to get punished for bringing Mandos. Just solid all arounders as they should be. Yeah. So I think that's going to cover all of the three units that we're covering today. Yeah. Jesse, any additional thoughts? No, I think we've kind of covered it here. Like, I think the synergies are apparent with the team. And I th- I'm really excited to see in Shatterpoint fashion, we cover these characters by as a box together, multiple units within a box. But in Shatterpoint fashion, can break them up, put them different places, mix and match, have some fun, play. I'm really in- interested to see what happens with that, too. So hopefully this gave you a foundation to do both of those things. Just plug and play what's been given to you. And then in the future, spread them out and try them in different you know, teams and stuff, kind of see what happens. Yeah, it's really interesting because without delving too deep into what the super commandos can do, I think that they're the more melee centric version yep. or mirror of the Clan Kree's Mandalorians. And so if you want to play a more offensive output, but still maintain those synergies, just take bow with those super commandos, right? Pretty cool. They're still all Mandalorians and they're stronger together. And now you potentially could have an aggressive squad that can support Ahsoka being aggressive, moving into enemy territory. I mean, goes without saying, but I think it's worth saying you can also play like double Mandalorians on both sides of your squads, right? And just like load up on Mandalorians and and really just have all of your secondaries and support units be Mandalorians and have all the stacking of abilities, right? Totally. Possibilities are endless. Kind the of. possibilities, yeah. The, I mean, they're endless to a certain extent, given it's just the core box. <laughs> I completely agree with you that like 
experimentation is your best friend here. Like I have played Gar Saxon with Clan Kree's Mandalorians. I have played Bo-Katan with Super Commandos. Exactly. I have played all four of them on the board together. And there are pros and cons. And there are some strategies that work better than others, right? And so you really just got to figure out what works best for you. And I think they did that intentionally. Because if you think about it, like, again, without getting too deep in a gar, like, he's a sniper. Yep. He likes pummeling you from a distance. Well, guess who else likes to shoot you from a distance? Clan Kree's Mandalorians, <laughs> That's right. right? That's right. So it's it's super interesting to wrap your head around the possibilities, as you've mentioned a couple of times now, Jesse. Mm. And I like it. I'm excited because it grinds those gears in a good way. Yeah, the sandbox is open, right? And it's like, what Star Wars narrative do you want to live out? Like, a, as on a theme side? And then also, like, what sort of play style do you want as a player? And can you meet in the middle? You know, like, can you just do what you want to do on both fronts? That's going to be my goal, Amon, as you very well know. You know, the type of gamer I am and, and like, the Star Wars fan I am. I really want to, like, build a, a narrative and uh, also build some synergies with my list building. So, like you said, maybe Gar with Clan Kreese is the way to go. And we'll explore that in the future. Certainly. Well, Amon, another episode in the bag. We got to tell everyone where they can find us online because... The show's growing. The game is growing at a massive rate. <laughs> Quite literally, by the day, the, the game is kind of getting out there into the world. I mean, Star Wars Celebration main stage stuff is pretty wild. <laughs> and uh, we want people to find this wonderful game and find our show. Absolutely. And I think what's really important with that growth is that we've been getting the support from our patrons. Yep. So thank you so much. Hello There is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Hello There patron by going to patreon.com slash hello there cast. Yep. And of course, that gives you immediate access to the private Discord. Just make sure your Patreon is synced up with your Discord and you'll get added right in. And um, also, those bonus episodes are starting very soon. Of course, you can find us online on numerous places. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at hello there cast. If you need to email us, email us at hello there cast at gmail.com and leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. I've already noticed that several of you are leaving podcast reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for us. That means a lot. It's helping the show get out there and get found. So thank you. 100%. Super grateful for the community involvement and support we've gotten so far. I mean, it's honestly incredible. And speaking of support, would like to give a additional shout out to Low Fuel for our show's music. Man, I'm telling you, part of my favorite. Sometimes I'm like, man, you know, the, the episode's over. And then you hear this banger. Just wrap it up, you know? I love it. Yeah, I stuck in some Star Wars quotes on those banger of songs too. So I'm pretty I'm pretty pleased about that, you know? Because uh, Amon and I, it turns out we like uh, Obi-Wan and Maul and we had to get some Obi-Wan and Maul quotes snuck in. That's right. Of course, you can find me and Amon different places online. You can find me, Jesse, on Twitter, Instagram, and Longshanks, all at the same place. That's Jesse Aiken, J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And if you like Marvel Crisis Protocol or you're interested in Marvel Crisis Protocol in the Marvel Universe and learning more about either and both features, check out my show, Fury's Finest, everywhere podcasts can be found. Amon, where can everyone find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Amon the Wargamer. Amon is spelled A-M-A-N. And on Longshanks at Amon Kusro. I'm in all the major discords as well as Jesse. My name there is Amon, comma, Dark Jedi. <laughs> I also, I also host a podcast on a game called Warhammer Underworlds. If you're interested in learning more about that game, it's called Path of Glory. It's been running for three plus years now, and we're the number one podcast in that space. Love to hear it. Yeah, uh, the three plus years club. Unite. It's good stuff. We're about to come up on our four-year anniversary on Furious Finest. It's very exciting. Very happy to be part of these communities we are part of, Amon, absolutely. And happy to build this Shatterpoint community, just straight up. Yeah, I will say this: the Shatterpoint community has felt the most welcoming. Very good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it's also one of those communities, I think we're going to get a lot of people who maybe this is their first skirmish game, 
you know? Yeah. I love that. I mean, I love people experiencing the joy of tabletop miniature wargaming and whether it's their first foray or their fifth foray. That's right. I think it's exciting. Yeah, we're super hyped to have you here and super excited to have you on this journey with us. And hopefully we can enhance your experience by giving, you know, just content, keeping you in the mode of this game that we love so much. And we're learning more about every day. And of course, the Star Wars universe, which we adore. But we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And until next time, may the force be with you. And remember, Mandalorians are stronger together. Thank you.